So we did uh, 1 Corinthians 10 last week. We're going to do 1 Corinthians 11 this week. I was hoping to skip 1 Corinthians 11, at least the first 16 verses. But we teach through the whole counsel of God's word, so we're going to take a look at it. And uh, I want this study to go quickly. I'm not going to do any questions and answers at the end. I'm kidding, I will. But when you see the topic, you'll realize how difficult it is. Um, this is a doozy. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I will absolutely begin with prayer because there's no way I'm getting through this unless the Lord does it. <laughs> Actually, it's always true. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And it is true from beginning to end and all points in between. And we just rejoice and thank you for this great gift that your word is truth. It's not a truth. It is the truth. And so we're grateful for it. And as we study it tonight, Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd guide and direct us and minister to us and lead us into all truth. And I pray that our, our hearts would be touched and our lives would be changed in accordance with bringing you greater glory. And so God, thank you for the folks who've attended this night and through the, uh, the busyness of the week to find refreshment in, in the, the hump day of Wednesday. I pray, Lord, that you would refresh them, that you'd hold the moon still or the night still, that they'd get plenty of rest and awake refreshed, not just physically, but spiritually as well. So may this be a night that would be a great blessing to all who are here. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to read through it, uh, the parts that we're going to cover, and I wanted to do all of it, but I figured... Uh, we get caught up with a lot of questions maybe at the end, and maybe not if I handle it correctly, or uh, we will, we'll get questions. But um, I'm only going to go through verse 16 tonight, so let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. The Apostle Paul begins with uh, his very opening line in verse 1. He says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I have delivered them to you. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, dishonors her head. Oh, you pathetic women. Look at this. You don't have any of your heads covered. I'm, that's a joke. <laughs> don't take that off the recording. Where were we? Uh, for that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. Verse 6, for if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But it, it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man." For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. That one, I'd have no idea how to respond to, so don't ask me. Nevertheless, neither is a man independent of a woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For as woman came from man, even so man also comes through woman, but all things are from God. Judge among yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? Somebody tell Kevin Golan. <laughs> but if a woman has long hair, it is to her glory, or it is a glory to her, excuse me, for her hair is given to her as a covering. 
But if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. Again, let's pray. Lord, please help me in Jesus' name. Amen. (laughs) Have a seat. Uh, You you can sit down, Mike. (laughs) I know you're the head, but just sit down. No, no, I'm kidding. Now, in in relation to this... um, Let's, let's remember where we are. Paul's speaking to the church at Corinth. He's in Ephesus in prison. The church at Corinth is a train wreck. It's a mess. And the entire city is affected by sexual dysfunction. A thousand temple prostitutes would come down from the temple of Aphrodite. They'd ply their wares. And it was, um, it was a port city. It was um, a trade city. And um, everyone was affected by this. And one of the ways that the prostitutes operated is um, this is a picture, and a, a, a depiction of prostitutes uh, being bartered and sold in this temple. And you can see their hair. And one in the far right is kind of looking at herself with a mirror. And uh, the, they're being put on display. And, and this is the idea. And so now we come to a place where, first of all, you, you see this depiction of Paul where he's talking about a woman um, that, and, and it opens up, it says, now I praise you brethren that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I've delivered them to you. So he's speaking about traditions of the church and these have been, these have been handed uh, to them and Paul has answered their questions as they've sent him a letter <clears throat> asking questions. Paul's responded to these questions. But he now deals with this where he says, But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. And then he adds this, Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. For that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. So what they have is they have a problem. And the problem that Paul's addressing is not whether your head is covered or uncovered or your head is shaved or whatever. What Paul's addressing is one simple thing, and he's talking about authority. Uh, in another portion of Scripture, uh, they would have um, um, confusion in the church when there was prophesying going on. And um, uh, a, a woman would, would prophesy and, and dominate. And, and I, I don't know if you've ever been in a church like this. I have. Um, and, and actually, when we came into the church in San Jose, it had been a very, I want to say, hyper-charismatic church. Uh, and and I, I was the one responsible for editing the tapes uh, to put them on the radio. And I found a bunch, for Don McClure, and I found a bunch of old cassette tapes from the previous pastor. And, and I would put these in the service. And it was the craziest thing. One person after the other would get up and they'd give these strange visions. There were darts coming from heaven and there was a da-da-da. And it was on and on and on. And then it was another person would stand up and they'd go through this whole visionary thing. And after a while, it just became this clanging symbol, this cacophony of noise that they were saying something without saying anything. And you were wondering what it was, but it was, and this is the tapes. It was woman after woman after woman. And I'm, I'm thinking... Uh, the way that they were forceful and they were, they were calling out the pastors and they were calling out the weakness of the men in the church and they were saying these things. And, and actually the church, when Don came in to take over because the church had imploded, uh, there, there was a handful of women that honestly were running the church. And if, in the absence of men, that makes sense. And they were doing that. And, and it was a... It was chaotic, honestly. Not that the women were running it, but that there wasn't any 
any balance as far as familial. And there was, there was just a struggle in the church. And actually, that was one of the first things when we came in to kind of work with the church because they were so massively in debt and they were going to be in the front page of the newspaper because they had done some Ponzi scheme. Um, it was an Assemblies of God church at the time. And, and that was the contingency that we had to deal with when we came in. And it, and it was just a, a group of ladies that had just kind of taken over in the absence of any men wanting to lead. And I, I understand that. Craig, you were, you were there. You understand, right? You remember this? He's nodding in affirmation and he's worried for me because he doesn't know where I'm going to go with this. And quite frankly, I don't either. So let me. Now, now all of this is just simply with authority. It's dealing with authority. So however, your home runs based on Romans 14. You rise and fall before one master. That's the Lord. And the scripture says, who am I to judge another man's servant? How you run your house is how you run your house. And in some cases, there are men that are soft-spoken. They're not, uh, they're not confront. They're, they don't confront. Uh, they don't lead. And in the absence of that, maybe you have a, a wife or a mother that is a little stronger in her personality. And she takes on that role. And that's, that's part of the family. That's how that family operates. Good or bad, that's how it operates. In our home, when Michelle and I got married, and we discussed this, especially when Molly was born, we, we started to talk about, as we went through Ephesians 5 and 6, where it says, uh, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Uh, uh, it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Children, obey your parents. It'll go well with you. You'll live long on the earth. And we looked at that and we thought, okay, it's, it's leadership fellowship. A leader is only as good as his followers, and a follower is only as good as their leaders. It's not that one is less and, and one, is, one is greater and one is, is lesser. It's that they both have a role to play. And we've been through this, and especially now with the Kavanaugh hearings and everything we're facing in the country, for a number of folks, especially if you're younger, you're looking at this going, how archaic. Well, it's thousands of years old, and, and if the family that you want to operate is doing better, you let me know. But it has served mankind and Western civilization very well, and here's how it operates. Leadership fellowship, and the idea is we submit to one another in the love of Christ, and then... Uh, husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church, laying our life down, serving them. And then the Bible says that wives are to submit to their husbands as unto the Lord, not, not mandatory, but voluntarily. And then it says, children, obey your parents, for it will go well with you. And the idea of obey is a requirement. Submission is voluntary. Obedience is mandatory. And this is how the family is developed. And the children, if they can learn how to submit to flawed parents, they'll have no problem submitting to a boss or submitting to an authority in life. And it's a structure of a, a, of a culture and a community, and that's how we operate. And when the family breaks down, that's the quickest way to destroy a culture or civilization. And that's exactly what happens if you want to dominate people, is you break the family apart, make them dependent on the state. So when Michelle and I looked at this, we thought, okay, as, as it says in Philippians, Christ, though being God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but took on the form of a servant unto death, even death on a cross. So Christ submitted to the Father, though being equal with the Father, he took on the role of submission to the Father's will. He would say in John chapter 5, I can of my own self do nothing. I and my Father are one. So they're one in mission, one in purpose, one is in submission, and the other is the lead. And the Father says this, and the Son obeys it, but they're both equal. So if Christ can do it, why do we have a problem with it? And in the same regard, if men don't like to lead, if the father can do it, why can't we do it? And so you have this picture where he gives us these roles and people say, well, I don't want to be in submission. Well, then you don't want to be the picture of Christ. I understand that. Oh, I don't want to lead. Well, you don't want to be in the picture of God, God, the father. 
And so these roles are necessary in, in every organization, whether it's a church or it's government or it's a business or it's a family, there's going to be a leader and there's going to be a follower. There's going to be structure. There's going to be organization. There's going to be uh, a way that, that you move forward. Who makes these decisions? Who makes these decisions? And that's something that you work out in your own family. God gives us an outline. But for children, it's very simple. Obey your parents. It goes well with you. You live long on the earth. And you obey your parents as unto the Lord. This idea that if they tell you to go kill someone, you don't obey them. You, you submit to the Lord. But the idea is, really, the things our parents ask of us are not... Uh, I can't remember. My, my parents didn't know the Lord, and they never asked anything of me that wasn't good, quite frankly. Eh, exception maybe one or two times. And so as we look at this, Michelle and I said, okay, how, how do we do this? And so we were wondering how to raise the kids. And she was homeschooling, and she was contending with the kids, and I'd come home, and it would just, she'd get, meet me at the door, and she'd go, they're out of control, and they're da-da-da-da, and you've got to spank them, and you've got to tell them, and then, and I'd come home after a full day, I'd walk in, and now it's my turn to, you know, I haven't had any time with the kids, but all of a sudden, I'm angry with them, and I haven't even had a conversation. And I'm thinking, is this what I do for my life? I just come home and I'm the disciplinarian and I get to be the one that hits them or, yeah, hits them. You guys are going to write that down and send me to jail. Never discipline in anger. But am I supposed to be the one to do this? And so as Michelle and I pondered it, we kind of, we, at the time, uh, Daniel, uh, I think, wanted to do soccer. Soccer was in our forefront. It was in our vision. And we thought, okay, you got, you got a, a green card, a yellow card, and a red card, right? Isn't that how soccer goes? Hello? Yellow and red. Okay, there's no green. Yeah, okay. So, so Michelle, Michelle, if the kids started to act up, she'd hold up a yellow card. And they're like, ooh. And the next one's red. You get a red card, you get punished when dad gets home. And the idea is, we talked about it, and I'm God the Father. She's God, Jesus Christ. Picture. And, and we can't approach God the Father, in a sense, if we're not right with the son. You tracking me? And the son is open and caring and, and, and reaches in and, and works with you and, and endeavors with you. And Michelle has far more patience. And this is the role that we played in our own home. She has far more patience. I, I'm not a very patient person when it comes to children bringing me sketches on a piece of paper that look like something's mentally wrong with them. <laughs> I'm like, what is wrong with my children? This isn't a picture. And Michelle would go, oh, it's just so cute. Look at the sun. And the, that's not a sun. It's a squiggly yellow line. But they use yellow in the uppers. Where are you coming up with this? The, the kids, there's something wrong with We need to do something. But she was always engaged. We'd be driving in the car. The kids would be singing in the back trying to harmonize. They sounded like just crows cackling and my ears hurt. And I just stop it. Turn off the radio. They, they're terrible. Our kids can't sing. She goes, they're learning. Be patient. And I just look at her. Patience is, is making my fillings loose. I, I, don't, I don't understand. And they learn to harmonize together. And they're good singers together. That's my wife. She would, she would endeavor with them. So she's approachable. And I would say to the children, mom is going to be your advocate. She's going to intercede on your behalf. She's going to speak your praises. She's going to share with me how your day went. She's going to talk to me about all. But if, if you contend with the son, if you mess with her, and you don't obey her, you're going to get the father. And when I get home, that's not what I want. I want to have a right relationship with you. 
And, and if that red card comes up, all she does is put the red card up. I have the kids come into the room. I say, what did you do? They repeat it systematically and without anger. I discipline them. And then I have them sit down until they understand what they did. And then they come out and they're, they're reunited. They're reconciled. And this is how our family runs. And we saw the authority when it came to finances. Michelle is way better at finances than I am. She's, she's, she's very good at finances. But she carries all the stress of it. And it's just insane. I mean, she just gets so uptight. And it, and it was causing her psychosis. I'm kidding. But it was intense. And I thought, I'm not great with finances, but I don't worry. And, and I, I just looked at her and I said, you're married to me. This is going to be a roller coaster. Why don't you just let me do it? And just don't worry about it. And for the most part, it's worked. But we tried to figure out the way the roles would work in the family. And, and each of you are going to have that as it goes. But the bottom line is it's authority. And what they were having in the church at Corinth is women were not submitting to their husbands. They were dominating the church. They had this idea that, that I'm going to prophesy and mine's going to be better and I'm going to run this. And it was just chaos. And the families were divided and the roles were all screwed up and everything was bad. And one of the biggest issues had to do with their hair. And the reason why it was a hair is because the prostitutes plied their trade with their hair. And it was, their, it, was, it was their adornment. It was this beautiful aspect. As Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, women, their hair is magical. Just the way they play with it and the way they toss their head and, and they spend so much time with it. For me, it's like I go in, they go, you know, for a haircut at uh, Sports Clip. She says, what do you want done? I go, I hate haircuts. Just do it. Do you want, I don't know, just do it. And I say, you know what the difference between a good haircut and a bad haircut is? And she goes, what? I said, three weeks. Just cut my hair. I don't care. Now, some guys out there are really into your hair, and good. I'm glad. But for women, it is, there, there's an enormous amount of time. Michelle straightens it, and she combs it, and there's different hairdos with different outfits. And if the earrings, they got to have the hair up. If they're bigger earrings, if they're just subtle, or maybe she just has a little necklace, and she wants the hair to droop forward. Just little things like this. Anybody following me on this? But they have this magical ability with their hair. And even when I was young, I would just, you know, when you're a little kid in school and you're just looking at the, the girl in front of you and their hair and just so pretty and just, just, and I'm sorry, what? <laughs> I don't know the answer to that. You go to the principal's office again, and it all had to do with the hair, but where was I? I... Now, the church was trying to deal with it. And so one of the solutions that the church had, because the depiction of, of hair was so important in the culture and such a reference to prostitution. And what they did culturally is they had the women put coverings over their head. And so there are churches today that require this and they read this and they, they don't look at it in context. And all the women wear coverings. And they put coverings over their head. And really what they're, de what they're declaring and what Paul's trying to put over here is he's saying, this is the structure of the family according to Ephesians 5 and 6. Husbands, wives, children. That's the order. That's how the family is designed. That's how it's to operate. And, and this 
picture here is the women wanted attention on themselves. They wanted to override their husbands. And they said, let's just put a covering on their head so that the hair wasn't the issue. And they weren't drawing attention to themselves and the husbands. And they were trying to reestablish the family. So they did this. And they did these coverings. And it wasn't just, you know, this looks like an, an Asian church. Uh, you can go into Eastern Europe and see this. You can go to other areas of the world. And they still follow this tradition. In Russia, in the Baptist church, many of them would, would wear head coverings. And, and, and this, is, this is the idea, these head coverings. Now, is this what God intended that we're supposed to wear these head coverings? Well, Paul goes a little further and he says this. The head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. And he goes on further to say that the woman came from the man. And he doesn't say that she is... That, that man is the source, not as though man is superior. He's saying that, that this is the beginning, this is secondary, and this is how we work. It's not that they're not equal. It's that there is this idea that they're helpmates, and there's an order established to it. And then he says, the head of Christ is God. And look at verse 4. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. So if you see the yarmulke, uh, of a of of a of a, a male Jew wearing and and you go to the Western Wall, you can't approach the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall, if you don't have your head covered. We've been there. You walk up and you have to grab one of the yarmulkes out of the basket. And I have no idea who wore it before me. Apparently they're washed, but you put that thing on there. And I'm thinking in the crown of my head, there's not a lot of chance for those old bugs to get in. But you put that up there. But what the Lord is saying is, this is dishonoring if the man wears a covering. Now. Why do Jews wear the yarmulke? The reason why they wear it is based out of Exodus when Moses went up on Mount Sinai and he got the Ten Commandments and his face was shining. And he covered his face because the glory started to depart and he didn't want anyone to know that. And he also kept it covered because people thought him kind of freaky because the, the glory of the Lord was shining. And so what Jews say is they put the, the covering to, to contain the glory of the Lord, to contain the glory of the Lord. Paul's a Jew. Paul's going to go on later to contend with that and to refute it, and he's going to state it, and I'll show you momentarily where that exists. He sees it just the opposite. You see, Moses was trying to pull a fast one because as the glory was departing, he wanted him to think he was still cool. And they're saying it's to contain the glory, and this is what's fascinating, is, is Paul is saying a man should not have his head covered. The glory isn't departing. God's glory, we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't depart, nor does his glory fade. And so for anyone who wears that yarmulke, God, uh, Paul is saying, this is not the purpose. And I just want you to show somebody wearing a yarmulke that is violating 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Some of you are very upset now. I could show a picture of myself wearing one of those. Be all things to all men that you might win some. And I just see that as. And then he says. Um, this idea for. Uh, every man praying or prophesying. Having his head covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered. Dishonors her head. For that is. For that is one and the same as her head were shaved. For if a woman is uncovered. Uh, let her also be shorn. Have her hair cut. Now, here's a picture of what I was describing in regards to Moses. He comes off of uh, 
the mountain and his face is shining because he's been in the presence of the Shekinah glory of the Lord. And this is another little cartoon picture, his face shining. And you can see this and it's, their, their eyes are being burned out of their skulls and the like. And then we also see that Moses wore a veil and he did this to cover himself. Now, here's the passage of scripture that I speak of in relation to it. And this is Exodus 34, verses 33 and 35. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses at the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him. And, and the, this, this shining would depart. It would start to fade over time. And, and there was two parts to it. One is he didn't want to be a spectacle. And two, he didn't want him to know that it was fading. And, and so Paul points this out because the Jews today say that they, they put this yarmulke on to retain the glory. But Paul refutes it in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Or, yeah, chapter 3 he says, Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses who put a veil over his face, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded, for until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. And Paul is saying, Moses wore it because it was fading. And and the glory of the Lord doesn't depart for those who believe in Christ. We don't have to have our head covered. We are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And he's still speaking of authority here. Listen, men, lead, women, serve, submit. And, and, and husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Lay your life down for them. Serve them. And, and dwell with them with understanding. And this, this depiction, children, obey your parents. It'll go well with you. You'll live long on the earth. It comes with a promise. This is a structure. You don't have to like it. But the reality is this is, this is how God designed it. And we can take it up with him, but this is the way it works. And And he's addressing the dysfunction in the church at Corinth. Stop. And just look at the breakdown of the family in America. A drug epidemic. Divorce rate over 50%. Broken homes. Um... You, you just you, you look at the struggle when you remove this idea of structure. And we go, well, you know what? We're liberated. Great. How's that working? And, and in the church, it was just this defiance to say, this is what I'm going to do. Now, what does God intend for us? Does he want women to, to have their head covered? No. He wants order in the family. What does that order look like? Are women to, to wear a covering? Are they not allowed to have long hair in church? What, what is the issue here? The issue is, what brings the greatest glory to the Lord? How does a family operate in the context of the design God has established? And when we come into the church, and this is what's interesting, what is acceptable dress in the church? How do we allow our children to dress? My wife will often ask me as we're, we're getting ready to go somewhere, she says, is this acceptable? You know what she's saying? Are you okay with it? I'll say, yeah. She's asking my opinion. Do I bring, do I bring honor to you? Absolutely. Am I, am I stepping beyond and bringing attention to myself or, or am I blessing the family? 
Oh, you, you, you look marvelous. I, 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 I'm, I'm honored to be your husband. And that's what she's saying. And I'll come to her and I'll say, do I look okay? No, you need to, you know. <laughs> but that's, you know. And then, have you ever had it? You know, at one point I had three teenage daughters living in my house. And even the dog was a female. It was like crazy. And they, they come out dressed. And I go, you're not wearing that. Anywhere on this planet. Ever. Are you insane? It's, it's, what are you doing? My daughter's not going out dressed like that. They weren't that way. But I mean, there were times you say, no, you're not going to wear that. Dad, dad nothing. Go change. Now, what am I doing? Well, you're, some of the kids are going, you're being overbearing. Okay, whatever. I'm concerned because what a woman wins a man with is what she wins him to. What you win him with is what you win him to. You win him with your body, you want him to your body. You win him with your, your chaste behavior and your beauty and, 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 and your character. You've won him to your chaste behavior, your beauty and your character. You win him with your body, you've won him to your body. And guess what? Your body is going to be affected by gravity <laughs> and age. And if you want him to your body, he's going to get to a place where he's going to look for a newer model. Hello? In our culture, everything is about appearance. And we think the only way to catch the right man is with the right bait. And I would tell my daughters, no, win them with your heart, win them with your character. And that's one of the things that I absolutely loved uh, about, about Micah and, and James when they came and they asked for the girls, uh, for, you know, Micah asking for Molly's hand in marriage, James asking for Kelly's. It was this idea of, of we're not, we're, you know, they, they would even struggle over holding hands. And the very first kiss for Micah and, and Molly was at the altar on the wedding day. And, and, you know, in their relationship to each other, same with James and Kelly, that's, that's this idea. And really what they were saying is, I want to spend time winning your heart, knowing your character, and spending time with you in this capacity. Because as you develop this, this is what's going to see you through life. Because trust me, once you say, I do, all hell breaks loose. You got crying kids and dirty diapers and, and an empty checkbook and break, cars breaking down and, and, and. And you're going to look at each other going, is this what we signed up for? And you both look at each other and go, yes, we talked through this. This is, this is what we prayed about. This is God establishing a, a family that's going to glorify him. This is what we've prayed for. And you're going to spend that time because you've developed the character in each of you to go and seek the Lord together. And so that's what we're looking for. So when Michelle comes to me, she's honoring me. When my children honor me and obey me, that's what we're doing. Now, how you do that is up to you because... You can look and say, a woman's head's uncovered. And, and, it's, and it's not, well, look at this. Is, is, that, is that bad? It's beautiful. Yes? But if this is what you're going to win a man with, well, now, we're in, now we got issue. You're going to win him with your character. You're going to win him with, with your, your chaste behavior. You're going to win him with your love for the Lord. But if this is what you win him with, I mean, that's one thing to have the eyes drawn but then, and, and there's, you know, it, 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 makeup. Do we allow makeup? 
I love what Chuck Smith used to say. I, I didn't say it, Chuck did. He said, look, if the barn needs painting, paint it. So I, I'm, I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking, is makeup unacceptable? Is, is the way you do your hair unacceptable? No. No, but what, what, what is your purpose? And that's between you and the Lord. What is your purpose? And you look at this. Now we're getting a little edgy. You come to church, and you start walking around like that. What are we doing here? Are we fishing? And <laughs> Tom, he's a little flustered over there. Are, are <laughs> so, so if a woman is going to let her, her hair not be covered and she's, she's going to be in disobedience and draw attention to herself and, 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 and make the church a fashion show for everyone to see this, then the scripture says, well, maybe we should just Shave her head. Well, okay. Or. And, and some guys are going, well, the girl on the left is really cute. Shave your head. Is that what we do? And, and I, I think and I, all God is saying is this is an issue. This is an issue of obedience. The family, the structure. What are we doing here? Is it drawing attention to ourselves? Is it, how are we establishing our culture? Is it not okay to have long hair? Is it not okay to wear makeup? All of that. The Bible says all things are permissible, not all things are profitable. And I have to tell you, I like when my wife dresses up, and I like when she wears makeup, and I like when she has nice clothes, and I love it when she comes to me and she says, that just honors me, and she's, she's beautiful, and I, I like that. And, and in our family, these are the things that are acceptable, and we agree with that. But if we go further, do, do we, when you go to the beach, do you wear a one-piece or a two-piece? When I go, I wear a one-piece. But do you wear, <laughs> is, is this an acceptable outfit for the beach? And, and we can contend in Christendom. I don't care what your answer is. I want to know in your family. Do you find that this is okay and that you're honored in, in the positions God has given you? And do you submit to one another and honor the Lord in, in, in the way in which you operate? And, and, you, and I'll tell you what, that is, for many people, I'd say probably 90% of the room, that's acceptable at the beach. But is, is it acceptable if you wear that to church? And I'll tell you what, the whole room will be like... Women are going, are you kidding me? Oh, my. And the guys are like, I like church. (laughs) Is this acceptable in church? And if you come dressed like this at church, question, why? First of all, it's usually cold in here. (laughs) Now, let me ask you this. Is this acceptable at the beach? Yeah, which one? And there we have the question of the family trying to figure it out. And and some of the guys with teenage daughters are going, yes, the women on the left are absolutely dressed correctly. <laughs> because no guy's going to be looking at your daughter where he's, he, he doesn't care about her character. He's, he's going to be looking at that outfit and thinking, well, if there's any chance there, I'm going to have to 
go and meet with her dad and go through a 10-page resume and why he's talking to me, why he's cleaning his gun. <laughs> now, we look at that and we say, okay, the dress is a drawing attention. And the church can really go overboard on this. First of all, we wouldn't wear what's on the right in church. I don't necessarily know we want to wear what's on the left in church. But we look at that and we say, what, is, what are we doing here? And, and, and is this what the family has decided? And is this what the husband is comfortable with his wife doing? Is this comfortable with what the parents decide the children are doing? Is there honor in the home? Is there structure in the home? In Corinth, the hair was very clear. That is what a prostitute does. You're not going out like that. Do you understand? Yes. Put a covering on. In our culture, we look at a covering, we look at hair, and we don't think prostitute. In Corinth, they did. The question is, how does the authority in your family operate? Do the kids look at mom and dad go, this is stupid and I'm not doing it. You're in violation of the scripture. If the wife said, this is how I dress and if you don't like it, too bad. Violation of the scripture. If the husband is saying, I don't want a man looking at you and I want you dressed like this. Is that where we go? That too is a violation of scripture. And, and, And Paul's saying, Folks, it's an issue of the structure of the family. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Children, obey your parents. It'll go well with you. Live on, long on the earth. In this screwed up Corinthian society, yes, I understand the covering. And that church, the church that you're a part of, this is how you distinguish between a prostitute and a churchgoer. And, and no, you're not going to be wearing the, the midriff and, and the yoga pants. and the, and the yeah. Look, if you come with a midriff and yoga pants to church and your husband's okay with it and you're okay with it and your kids are okay with it, there are going to be folks in the church going, and I remember this. They come up and they go, you can't come in here dressed like that. I remember that happened one time. A woman came into the church dressed in a way that another member of the congregation didn't like and they went and they dressed it. I went around and grabbed them and I said, I don't care if they come in a bikini. Let them in the church. They're, they're, they're going to come here. God catches his fish before he cleans them or, or dresses them. Do you understand? Don't do that again. But if you're maturing in Christ, I want to ask you a question. Why would you come to church dressed like the right? What are you doing? I mean, if you're maturing in Christ, you're spending time. Why? What is your motivation? And is it honoring to your parents? And then the question is, what are, your, what, what are your parents' desires for you? Is this idea that, that you, you, you're, you're teaching your children to honor the Lord? And, and what you, kids, what you win somebody with is what you win them to. Win them to your heart. Win them with your heart, you've won them to your heart. Win them with your character, you've won them to your character. Win them with your body, You've won them to your body. And is it a competition? My kids are prettier than yours. My kids are more handsome than yours. Is there an insecurity that you want to put forward? These are all questions between you and the Lord. But walk circumspectly. 
And he's the, he's the one that, according to, well, Galatians 3, for you are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. And people say, well, we're all one in Christ. We can do as we please. That is unto salvation, not into authority in accordance with the home. 1 Corinthians 11 deals with that. But in the home, here's the ultimate authority. You ready? Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. I may not like the way your kids come dressed to church, but they're not my kids. And you may not like the way my kids come dressed to church, but they're not your kids. But the question we can ask each other is, what are we doing here? And how does this fit Ephesians 5 and 6? And how do we build families where our children are drawn to each other's character and hearts as opposed to eye candy? Do we burka them? Do we teach them how to dress in a chaste manner? Not, not so that there's no curves or not so that there's no hair or not so there's no makeup. Not, not that. But the question is, where does it fit? Do we drive culture or submit to culture? And, and oftentimes, it's, it's, it's a blurred line and hard to see. But if your kids come in the church and they're dressed supremely, Inappropriately, I, I, I might pull you aside and say, what's going on? As a pastor of church, what's going on? Because the minute they walked in, every head turned. I'm just asking you, is this what you're striving for? Because it, 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 it's going to be a distraction. Or, and, and I have to tell you, 17 years as a pastor of the church, I've never done it. Not once. I don't think I'll ever have to. And anyone who comes in dressed inappropriately that we've never seen before, it's like, sit there as long as you want. I'm thrilled you're here. And over time, there's a desire to want to say, okay, this is a place that appreciates my character and appreciates me. And I don't have to, I don't have to keep people at a distance or just let them see me and, and not, not be able to see past the, the outer shell. Does that make sense? This whole passage is not about a veil or your hair or your head being shaved or a man's head covered or uncovered or a man's long hair. It's about authority. And the, the authority of the family, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Children, obey your parents. It'll go well with you. You live long on the earth. Why? Well, that's a structure. But if you want more of a picture, I love that I, I was going to draw it, but I ran out of time. Take an umbrella. It kind of rained a little bit today. Here's the umbrella. Put God on the umbrella. Underneath the umbrella, put husband. Underneath husband, put wife. And underneath wife, put children. Of the four, God, husband, wife, children, who are the weakest and need the most protection? And they have it. Physically, not always, but 90% of the time, who would be the next weakest? 
wives. I, I, I never made the Olympics. I made the senior nationals. But when I was a swimmer, there wasn't a woman on the face of the earth who could beat me. I wasn't a great swimmer. All the Olympic champion women, I, I still could beat them. That doesn't mean that we weren't equal. It means that we're physically different. There's only two sexes, by the way. Only two genders. And, and many people are going, oh, this is so archaic. It is. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you something else that's archaic. Two plus two is four. It's been that way forever. And it is archaic. But in this new progressive realm where we just dismiss all this logic. And you just look at the DNA. and but Oh, no, no, we don't look at DNA. I feel. I feel. I don't think. I feel. Your feelings are irrelevant to facts, right? Hello? And so there's covering. And then the covering for the man. And, and if the man steps out of the family, God is a pretty cool covering even for a single parent home. Yes? And if it's an orphan child, God is still a supreme covering. The only prayer Natasha could utter when her grandpa died and her grandmother almost burned down the house is she just said, God, I want a family. She didn't even know who she was praying to. And God gave her a home. And so this is how God designed it and he knows how to sustain it and it's going to be in this order. And so if you're married to a man who's kind of meek and mild and he's not a natural go-getter and an ape-type personality, and, and you are wife, well, you'll figure out your roles. You'll figure them out. You might override him. He might, you know, and you'll work through that. One of you may be good at finances. Well, the man always does the finances. Well, in our family, we do. It would probably be better if Michelle did it, but then she'd have apoplexy. Maybe in your family it works differently. That is Romans 14. But this is the structure. And here, let me just leave you with this. Just chuck Ephesians 5 and 6. Throw away 1 Corinthians 11. And I'll tell you what. Do it however you please. And good luck with that. And let me just talk to same-sex couples. Same-sex marriage. And my sister being one of them. You know what's fascinating to me about same-sex couples? One is butch and one is femme. Oh, sometimes they switch roles, but one is butch and one is femme. Because even in that, they're realizing somebody has to be this and somebody has to be that. They, they even see that. There was one time I was thinking, let's just do same-sex married couple counseling according to Ephesians 5 and 6. And at least he'll get the word. Okay, some of you didn't like that. But, but this is that idea. That even in same-sex couples, there's the butch and the femme. It's like, it's, it's, it's ingrained. And we realize somebody has to lead. And somebody has to follow. And that's how we operate this. 